This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General. Together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Our guest today is Sherry Latour, owner of Topps Appliances and Cabinetry. Many people know Topps as the store on Johnson Street that sells appliances and cabinetry, as we just said. They've been in business for over 70 years. Sherry Latour bought Topps 12 years ago after retiring in a sound fiscal position. She had previously worked as the CEO of a $100 million oil fill service company. Today, we will focus on what is going on within the Topps building. Sherry not only sells top-end appliances, but houses 15 growing businesses. She has formed a business and mentoring community at Topps to help small enterprises thrive as they navigate startup challenges or are looking for more meaningful space to conduct business. There are construction-related businesses such as Architectural Windows and Doors. Brian S. Gidry Builders is here. You'll also find April Guidry Designs and the unconventional dietitian, Daphne Olivier, who holds cooking classes in Topps Live Showroom. You'll also find the Cajun Crate, an eco, excuse me, an e-commerce business that ships Louisiana non-perishable food products. And one thing that I remember, when you walk in, you'll smell the heavenly waft of products created by Charlie and the Peanut Butter Factory. And there's many more we'll probably touch on, but I want to first welcome Sherry Latour for the opportunity to not only have you on my show, Discover Lafayette, but Sherry, to let people get to know your kind and generous heart. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's very thoughtful of you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So I found out about you. I, I knew that you were the owner of Tops. We had never met, but Boyer Derice of Good Eats Kitchen was a recent guest on Discover Lafayette, and he told me about your mentoring and making space for people that are up and coming in different industries, and most particularly the food industry, but I know you're helping other types of businesses. So why don't we just jump in, and um, if you can tell us first a little bit about your background, Sherry, your, your business background. So I started you know, through accounting, worked my way up through accounting departments, and then had the opportunity to get into operations. 
uh, went to work for um, Eddie Swallow, who is uh, the largest non-union pipeline construction company in the United States. And he took me and mentored me and gave me opportunities. And that's where I ended up in, as a CEO in the company that one of the companies he was ready to sell. So I, I had an opportunity to go in, clean it up, do all the things that I love doing about getting um, systems in place and efficiencies in place and, and really put a nice price tag on the company from the work that I had done and then helped merge it and help it to go public and then had a chance to run it. Right. So. What trained you to do that? What was your school background? Um, actually, I started taking accounting classes in high school. Uh, went right into the workforce after high school. Uh, took a few courses in a community college, but really didn't do anything formal. Most of it was on the job training, mentoring, things of that nature. I find that so inspiring. <laughs> so many people today feel like they have to have that diploma mm -hmm. and education costs so much. But sometimes on-the-job training is where you really learn, right? Yes. And and I was such a scaredy cat. I didn't want to go to college, even though I graduated high school with a 4.0. Wow. <laughs> I didn't think I could pull it off. I was really focused on getting married and having kids and being at home. Mm -hmm. And that's just what we did in our family. And right. so I kind of broke some of those rules and uh, ended up having a career that I totally did not expect. That's, that's awesome. So you were, um, I guess you, when you left the company, when it was sold, mm -hmm. you were fiscally sound. You, you had financial footing to, I, to do pretty much what you wanted to. I did. And in fact, I thought, you know, at 45, I would be retiring. <laughs> and uh, and the Eddie Swallow, my mentor that mm -hmm. uh, gave me all these opportunities, says, no, you're not the type of person to retire. He said, why don't you look at buying a company for yourself? And that's when I started my search. And Tops had all the elements that I wanted, you know, long-term um, employee base, customer base, good products to mm -hmm. sell, and it just seemed to be the opportunity. Uh, what I didn't anticipate was really how large the building was. I was about to ask you the number mm -hmm. of square feet. This building yes. is huge. So downstairs, we have 64,000 square feet, 18,000 mezzanine, and I'm on 3.6 acres. So I did know through my due diligence that Tops was really too small to support this type of real estate. And uh, they had other businesses at, at the time, um, did not make it through the, the BPL spill you mm -hmm. know, issues that we had um, back in 2010 and 11. So all along, I've been trying to bring other businesses in, whether it was just to expand their own showroom or give them a place where mm -hmm. they didn't have before. Right. Well, I remember back, gosh, 1999, 2000, we were finishing up our home. We bought all of our appliances from Tops. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about that. When I walked in, I was just kind of wowed by the appliances, but it didn't it didn't hit me how much space you have outside also. Yes, it didn't hit me either. <laughs> <laughs> Until you got your first electric bill, huh? Actually, I really improved that electric you bill did. quite a bit uh, from the beginning because we did put a lot of systems and maintenance in mm -hmm. right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, that that is my area of expertise. Once I had a lot of that stuff working, then I started looking at, you know, 
getting to know customers, meeting the public. That was the challenge for me because that really wasn't something I'd ever experienced before. Mm-hmm. On a recent interview with Josh Goree, he bought the Walmart mm-hmm. um, on North Evangeline Thruway. He said the first bill, the first month they got their electric bill, he almost flipped out because the building is it's huge, yes. like this. And they realized, oh, no, that we're going to have to make some changes. But I guess you don't know till you get in. You jump in. Mm-hmm. So so tell us about those early days. So you bought this in the late 2000, like 2009. 2009. So that was right before the BP spill. So yes. You were always known for your appliances, and I know mm-hmm. that the cabinets are you know, a big part of the business. How did that oil spill affect the economical viability of So, tops? actually, I think I've picked the worst <laughs> years to be in business because <laughs> I... I started as a Gosh. result of the credit crisis that yeah. happened, you know, in in 08 that mm-hmm. trickled down to cause issues for the the original owners. And uh, so when I started renovating the the building, I did get a lot of help from the manufacturers because there was no one in the United States investing in showrooms at that time. So I was able to do a nice build out. And B, when BP hit and the moratorium on drilling, it, it just really slowed down a lot of things here. So we have always used our internal labor to work on our showroom renovations. So... Um, so that's what we do, we, and, and the maintenance on the building. So we, we would just continue to to utilize our, our people that way to guarantee them their hours. And, you know, and, and, and it's a, I always had a consulting business alongside of this, so I supplemented mm-hmm. where I needed. Um, so, you know, we've just, you know, plowed through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we were going to talk some in a bit about the people that you're mentoring now, but would you talk about that consulting business that you started on the side? Because you've always been consulting with business owners. So I, um, like I said, I like to go in and do a deep dive, a little forensic type accounting, um, been called the Sherlock Holmes type approach. Um, and many of the times I'll go in and my consulting fees will be less than the refunds I find for businesses, whether it's through insurance uh, audits, uh, sales tax audits. I can go in and get them refunds of things that they might have missed and were paying over what they mm-hmm. needed. And, Were there suppliers, too? Like, you look at everything? Uh, I look at everything, mm-hmm. and I, I, I just... Um, Use the the Lord Corporation model of um, what I learned in bigger business to take it to a smaller company where they may not have seen some processes. Um, right. there, there's so many um, technology and tools and things that they can use to help streamline things that um, I can I can bring to the company. So I was doing that while my due diligence on tops and and then. Um, and then I started about six months after I bought Tops. I got a large, uh, larger company in uh, Texas that was doing um, landscape and outdoor spaces. And then I had a couple of other oil field companies that I was doing. So basically, when I set up a server here in the building to be able to house all of their their needs, so we did IT and mm-hmm. background office. Uh, the back office support, and uh, that was before the cloud. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, so you had ser- so, physical servers. Here yes, that would, yes. Yeah. So we have now since transferred everyone over. I uh-huh. have well, now I have a few still on my server, but um, you know, and and I'll do some um, larger scale 
items as well. Um, so, do you think most smaller businesses? I don't know if they go to. We need to hire an expert. Mm-hmm. You know, we need a good accountant. We need mm-hmm. a good IT person. Is that what you find? Is that why they're maybe spending money they don't need to because they haven't invested up front in the right consultants? Well, what What I find with the smaller entrepreneur, like when I first met Boyer, he gave me the opportunity to. to go into his accounts and set oh, that all up. he told me that. He said he yeah. brought like a, two feet of <laughs> bills and taxes and things and gave it to you. And he said, you just loved it. That's what yes, you live for. I do. I really Crunching do numbers. enjoy that. Yeah. And it's like getting a big old giant jigsaw puzzle, you know. Uh, and he was too so, busy to get to it. But that's probably absolutely. typical. Absolutely. And yeah. it's the last thing most entrepreneurs want to focus their energy on. That's mm-hmm. the painful piece for them. And so that's... and and. Do they have the money to invest in someone with that level of, of experience? Probably not in the beginning. They're usually a one-person show. And so I, I you know, and, and I pick on them. I, I, I uh, worked for meals. You know, it's like, look, I, I did a little bit of work, and he graced me with a bunch of his great meals. Yum, yes. You know, it was Vinny's wonderful. Kitchen. You know, yes. So, and just gave him a bit of advice, helped him get some structure in place. And then now, of course, he's large enough and has who he, he needs on staff at this point, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of the uh, the smaller businesses that uh, just need a little bit of tweaking here and there and get them started. And then what it does is it gives me an insight to their companies to where I could spend some time talking to them, listening to them, hearing about their dreams, and then make some suggestions to mm-hmm. give them a path of how they can grow and try a different line. And um, I I have a natural knack when I'm working with someone to listen to their dream and pull it out in a way that it could turn into a business. I I just love taking hobbies into businesses, it seems Mm -hmm. like. and um, That side hustle becomes reality. Yeah, and and so Mm -hmm. many young people are wanting to make their, you know, live-work balance and and make it so important Mm -hmm. that uh, they're willing to leave the corporate world, leave their jobs, and be at home and trying to put their dream into action and, and make their living that way. And I so admire a lot of these parents that are willing to to do that much work on both the home front and the business front. Right. You know? Boy, that's in the news right now. I mean, it's I guess COVID is what spurred people to think about, you know, asking themselves, what am I doing? Yes. But this is really, it's almost a crisis for the workforce. It has For been. supply chains. I know you're having trouble getting appliances. We can get into that later, mm-hmm. but there's such a crunch on the yeah. supply end, but a lot of people don't want to just work for yeah. low wages doing things they don't enjoy. And and it's turned a little bit more into that with the, the parents that, you know, for the first time in their children's lives, working parents did not have the support of the school system or the extracurricular activities that kept their children, you know, busy and educated and fulfilled. And all of a sudden, they were home with their kids and they couldn't do as much work. I had to reduce the hours for a number of my employees because of how much of the demand at home was. <clears throat> and so we adjusted our, our showroom hours here. and. Uh, to the point where we even close on Fridays, uh, the showroom piece, that we still have some guys working in the mornings. I don't know if we'll ever go back to a five-day showroom work week. It worked out yeah. for you? It has. And, and we make appointments, you know. Yeah. And, and I think people we, get that if you tell them. Yes, and we can work outside of hours as mm-hmm. well. So. Right. And not many people really have the flexibility to shop 
all day, every day. Right. So this maybe has a silver lining, mm-hmm. but I, I was just curious. So the people that you help, they're looking maybe at their lives that, you know, um, living and working balance. Does it matter what type of business they want to go into? I know you said you're listening for their dream, but does it matter if it's Good Eats Kitchen or maybe a, um, a new construction mm-hmm. firm? Does it matter what they're doing? Are the basics of a business the same? Um, absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that my mentor told me early on is like um, running a business is, you know, you can apply the principles to anything. It's like where you get into trouble is when you absolutely fall in love with the product and the business that you're doing to the point where it may become more of a, a baby than a business, and then it's hard to make those hard decisions. You know, he says, so if you run anything like a business, you'll, um, you can do well. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but uh, I guess his point was is that when it's a real emotional driven mm-hmm. or you can't let it go you know, you, if it's yes. failing or make or make sound decisions about um you know your your profit margin sometimes mm-hmm. uh, a creator can get so involved in making the product that they spend so much time it's never finished it's never uh, big enough great enough and then it's never affordable right <laughs> you know? so to, to be able to stay in business yes yes right did you take any counseling courses? Like it, it's psychology too, right? When you talk with people, you have to tell them to be almost dispassionate yeah. about some of their choices. So it it might have been through some of my counseling, you know, growing <laughs> up and 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 uh, dealing with all of that. Because my career really kicked off when I started getting mentored in my forties. There's not a lot of. Uh, of mentoring from parents or teachers that happened in the first half of my life. So uh, so it, it was going in, like growing up in public in front of my mentor going, this is the first time I've ever been taught. This is the first time I've ever been given these opportunities. And it was um, a little embarrassing getting started in my 40s doing this, you know, but uh, because there was so much emotional stuff that came with it. Mm-hmm. So so there, there was a lot of counseling that took place while I was trying to grow and, and pick up the pieces from the past. Right. And uh, so that maybe that's part of it. You know, we we all say that we're a product of how we grew up. Right. So and maybe that the those deficits back mm-hmm. when have really helped me to hone in on my listening yeah. and listen for dreams. Cause I I just don't even remember dreaming as a child. I was like that too. Yeah. I just I don't know. I just didn't. So now people that do, we, I think they're so lucky. Exactly, you know? mm-hmm. exactly. And and now you know, I I'm able to to dream because yeah. the dream building this whole business accelerator was was not something that I really set out to do. You know, I was really seeing myself as a business owner and a consultant, mm-hmm. and I I wasn't putting it as a mentor, uh, getting in, in in involved on a real personal level right. with people and, and helping develop their dreams. And um, and now it's been the most fulfilling part of my mm-hmm. life. Well, I want to jump into that first. I'd like to break and listen back to a clip from an interview we did with Jim Gosson. He's an ambassador of the Louisiana Gulf seafood industry. And just like you, Sherry, Jim mentors entrepreneurs in the seafood industry. And he believes it's critical that we help one another 
so we can sustain the viability of other businesses. And I think, in fact, he's also working with Boyer DeRees. He helped introduce him to the Rouse's family. And I, I know we'll talk about Boyer with Good Eats Kitchen, but Boyer is now going to have the opportunity to sell his goods in the Rouse's. So both of you are making a big difference. And this moment is brought to us um, by Kurgan Brothers Sonic, and I want to thank them for supporting our show. Any Sonic locally, you can enjoy the Raging Cajun Cheeseburger for a limited time. It's got a Cajun flavor mix of Tabasco brand spicy mayo, pepper jack cheese, Tony Sachery's famous Creole seasoning, and fried onion tanglers. And I'd like to thank Ted Kurgan and Kurgan Brothers Sonic for their generous support. Let's take a listen to Jim Gosson. If we want to eat our own food, our own grown food, we have to think out of the box. We can't just keep continuing to do what we've been doing. Right. And right. whether it's going to be offshore aquaculture, uh, we would not be eating salmon today if there wasn't aquaculture. Because if you you go into a store and it's not your plate of uh, of wild salmon's not forty dollars. You're not eating real wild salmon. It's just expensive. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it would hurt our fishery that we had aquaculture. It would just make it more valuable because mm -hmm. the people that appreciate wild caught fish would be willing to pay more. Right. So I know that you believe that. Um, I know that most of the fishermen aren't paid much for a typical catch, but that. I've read this anyway, Jim, if you can explain it, that as an industry, it would behoove them to market like market what they have and the importance of this local industry, you know. Yeah, I mean. It's tough to compete. It's with, tough to compete. Uh -huh. uh, I've said that we can't compete on price. We have mm -hmm. to compete on quality. So mm -hmm. how do we uh, focus on improving our quality of what we catch, whether it be uh, slow, you know, less drag times in the Gulf. Uh, you know, putting less sulfites on anything, and mm -hmm. uh, just treating a product like it's a premium product, right. and not trying to compete on price because we'll never compete with China. Can just keep lowering the price. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette with Sherry Latour of Tops. So, Sherry, I read online or. I don't know where I saw this, maybe. Walt Disney is one of your biggest heroes. <laughs> and your favorite Disney motto is believe. And so you are helping others believe in themselves. And that's really what I wanted to get from this interview. I'm so inspired by the number of businesses that are housed here on the Tops property. It's kind of like a, a small school almost with working incubators. Yes. Yeah. And and I do love the way um, the entrepreneurs within the building will, f they're forming relationships with each other and getting support from each other. Mm -hmm. And and seeing that is, is really awesome. But yes, I think I got to a deeper level of belief that I didn't realize I hadn't hit until just some months ago. Um, because when I when when COVID hit and I started working to develop the the build out the kitchens and, and do more of this, I was like, you know, the the funds are going to be there. The funds are going to be there, and um, I wasn't really sweating it as much as I usually do. And um, and then recently, I landed a larger contract for my consulting business. And all of a sudden I turned around and went, oh my gosh, all of this is getting funded. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and this consulting work is really, um, you know, paying the bill to help 
me do this work. Let's make it clear, though, you are helping others, and you're also, you are footing a lot of the expense to keep the space available and to be able to help them. So you're working your side gig outside of TOPS, which is probably a lot of it's almost full-time, to keep this afloat to help others. Well, it, it's not full-time as much as you would think, um, but I am able to use those resources to help. Like if, if, um, if someone needs a sliding scale on the kitchen rental or on warehouse space, or if, um, if I feel moved to do some kind of marketing event that will feature some of the entrepreneurs, I can, you know, fund mm-hmm. that and not feel like... Um, they don't have to go borrow money right. right then to do that. And then one of the big things is with the supply chain disruption, I've got, you know, many of the, the entrepreneurs will buy their monthly supplies. Mm-hmm. Monthly. Monthly. So they can make the note, the, yes, the payment. Yes, their cash flow and everything. So I went to them individually and said, look, I, I think you need to look at getting a year's worth of cardboard or a year's worth of bottle caps or whatever. And that made them really nervous. So most of them were like, well, can I look at six months? You know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And then I said, and I'll do a micro loan. And I said, upstairs is not being utilized yet. We'll just park everything upstairs. Mm -hmm. And you could take what you use every month, bring it downstairs into your space, and pay me your monthly amount like you would normally. Mm -hmm. So, but you need to do all the work and figure out how are you going to get that here, um, how long it will take to ship, and and do the work to figure out, you know, Mm -hmm. what is your six-month supply Do you help check them? Do you look at their numbers and um, and kind of ensure that they're accurate in their forecast? Um, or do they do it themselves? They do it themselves, mm-hmm. um, and they they have a good handle on what they need to get their product done. So uh, I felt real comfortable about that piece. Um, and but because the hardest part for them was saying was it felt like a risk to them yeah. to say I'm going to get six months worth. Yet when you look back historically, I I had looked at their books. I did know what they had done. It's like, look, you've been doing this amount of sales. You actually increased during COVID. You know, mm-hmm. it is almost a certain that mm-hmm. these sales are going to happen for you. Some of them already had a good bit of it in the pipeline. It's like the the most the orders were there. Anyway. Yeah, the the risk was being able to fill the orders. Mm-hmm. You've got everything else covered. So if they didn't have the supplies, that they could lose their um, customers yes. if they weren't ready to f- yes. fulfill the order. Mm-hmm. So. I guess they were not only believing in themselves, but I'm sure they got economies of scale. If you order six months instead of one month at a time, they could get you know savings on mm-hmm. that, but also get the product in. That's what you were the, looking at. Yes, mm-hmm. and the the other piece is um, the, a lot of them will go and buy something um, like they'll run to Costco and buy their mm-hmm. monthly supplies or whatever. And um, so scaling up on a bigger sense of, you know, well, I'm not going to go buy, you know, the 20 pound bags of sugar at Costco. I'm going to get the 50 pound bags and get six months worth. Oh my God, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, so it was taking them to a new level. And, um, and it, and that part is real fun for me to watch them go through, you know, all of those exercises and think it through. And then, and then they have more confidence Mm -hmm. and, and more surety that, Things are going to be where they need them when they need them. Right. You know. Well, if you can, for people that haven't been here, you gave me a tour last week, and would you kind of walk through the kitchen space you've added on mm-hmm. and some of your the entrepreneurs that are here? You've got okay. a lot of cooking and 
packing yes, and shipping going yes. on here. It's pretty exciting. So, you know, the construction uh, company, related companies all made sense. The ones you mentioned earlier, just need to correct Gildry. April. Her last name is Guillory, April oh, Guillory. So, um, so it made sense to have them Thank here. You. And even with Daphne coming on board, it made sense because we had live products. And so she would... All of her classes were, you know, using our products mm-hmm. to cook on. And uh, so that was a great commercial for us as well. But Daphne introduced me to Boyer. And Boyer, um, he was mentoring three people in his kitchen. And that's what got Charlie here, because Charlie and the Peanut Butter Factory was, you know, over. Mm-hmm. Use, he needed more space. He had employees. He became an employer, at, you know, before he moved here. And uh, so Boyer had introduced me to the people he was mentoring, but he also introduced me to um, Cajun Crate, Tara Guidry, and and she does that um, e-commerce and website yeah. fulfillment. And so she has one sixty-fourth of my building. But to her, that's more and better space than she ever had in any other mm-hmm. location. And, um, and she brought um, the Cousin Smokehouse owners. They were already in Rouse's and being distributed, but they were unhappy with their distributor. You know, they couldn't afford their own distributor company like Coca-Cola has their own trucks yeah. and people to put their product on the shelves. But they wanted to start their own, so they needed more customers. So they got more products to represent. So they started a year ago, Happy City Distribution, and they are, you know, in all the Rouse's, and they got accepted just recently to HEB in the Cajun sections in Texas. Which is huge. It is huge. H-E-B so is huge. He, they have location there now. So, so this was all happening before we had even built the kitchens. So it's a network. So it's like it's interrelated be, exactly. friends and colleagues. Yes, and they all have the expertise of well, how do I get my product yeah. in Rouse's? You know, now right. you go talk to Lawrence at Happy City or Scott, and they'll help get your product there. So, and you do need to produce in a commercial kitchen to be able to yeah. be accepted. So, and then and that's to stay legal. <laughs> absolutely, the state and monitors for the safety. Uh-huh. You know, of yeah. the food product. Yeah. So, um, so. Just shortly after the phase one um, shut down, I got a call from Hammy Davis mm-hmm. saying that they were going to close the food hub on the north side of town. Yeah, yeah. And right off of uh, University. Yes. Right, yes. north of town. And so he's like, look, I know you've always wanted to do this. So I got Boyer and Daphne and Tara and the four of us got together and we're like, oh, yes, let's do it. So we had a section of the showroom that was... Um, the floor store, the, the business that was there when I bought the company that ended up closing. And so I really hadn't utilized that space yet. So we put, uh, Charlie was already there in what was their offices. The peanut butter. And yeah, yes, guy. the peanut yeah. butter guy. And uh, so I, I we built two um, kitchens. One's a baking kitchen, one's a mixing kitchen. And we have it to where they're available 24-7. And uh, so the second person from Boyer's Kitchen was Katie and Slice, and uh, they do sweet and savory pies. And so he moved into the baking kitchen. Uh, shortly after he was here, he became an employer and had his first hired his first employee. He starts. Um, he has a, a like a virtual pick restaurant uh, where they can pick up through waiter or just 
send in your order through the website and pick up. So now that you always have that great smell going on in the kitchen. It does smell good. <laughs> and I saw on the side, the park here for pies. Yes. Buying <laughs> yeah. so, appliances are pies. So you know? really. <laughs> so it's, um, we all wanted to get everybody back in the kitchen. Yeah. But yet now we've got this going too. Uh-huh. And then there's a, a few other businesses that yeah. have come into the kitchen. Yeah. You know. Other, other so, in the kitchen and there's other businesses here too. And then there's here other too. businesses. And I know you really liked the, the garden the, shop. Yes, yeah, so she has a plant indoor plant. It's Ginger Sprout Plant Company. Oh, it's beautiful. And it's like just a lush Eden. It is so it's beautiful. beautiful. And she was working out of her home. Uh, she had gone into um, a marketplace just two weeks before COVID hit. So she had to move back everything back at home. So by the time I was, she was being recruited to come to Tops. I I had envisioned in architecture windows and doors showroom area they have all these amazing windowed and doors and set up and I was just imagining this one behind this one door would make a gray greenhouse Mm -hmm. and I could see it from my where I sat in the showroom and I just kept envisioning this well she was putting a greenhouse in there within a couple of months of that uh vision and really excited about her joining Mm -hmm. us And and then um Jana the, the teddy bears? Yes. Yeah, so Jana's been around since 15. Um, I actually helped her get started. She's a, a UL uh, design graduate, and um, I've been knowing her for, you know, she's she's my niece. I've been knowing her for a really okay. long time, and I could not get her to re- duplicate and get an assembly line going with any of the great products she would come up with. She makes like custom memories into this teddy bear that I saw. Yes. I'm sure there are other things too. Yes. She'll make pillows and Mm -hmm. and ornaments and things like that. But but everyone is a unique design. Mm -hmm. Um, Loved ones will bring their clothes of someone who has passed on and she will create a unique bear Mm -hmm. or pillow. And uh, she has touched so many people's lives with that. So, so she was using Tops as her pickup and delivery location. I helped her with her flyers and some shows and you know different things. I got it, gave her a little micro loan to start with her inventory and get her sewing machines and things like that. And um, and she's just done really well. And now her and her husband are doing a lot of wood products. And with the laser cuts and, mm-hmm. and things, and he just was able to quit his full-time offshore job. That's great. And he's home. They have a four-year-old, mm-hmm. so so they have better quality of life. And uh, they're just, they're they're just. They, I, I pick on them. I said, "You never work so hard in all your life for so little money when you go into business for yourself." That's true. But getting paid know, is a perk. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's so many other benefits. Most of your, I guess, the people you're assisting. Sherry are, are young. Yes. So you were mentored by an older gentleman, which I know you you know you love that experience. But I'd like you to share what you see the differences are between maybe the generation or two above and then who you're yes. working with now. How how are people different? Our yeah. our approach to life. So yes. Yeah, so there's about fifty years difference in that span. And and the young men that came out of Boyer's Kitchen. So there's three young men in their thirty something. And young thirties, young thirties, yeah. and yeah, because Boyer, I think, is still in his thirties as well, his late thirties. So um, they they gave me feedback that I was giving them a much different approach um, than male mentors, and so and of course I was mentored uh, by a man, 
And back then, he looked for professional women to help him mentor me. And there wasn't a lot of women willing to share back then. And so he told me that later. I guess he didn't want me to know that he had tried to to find a woman and couldn't to help Mm -hmm. mentor me. But he did tell me later that he wasn't able to find someone. So he's like, I'll do it. And uh, so, so it was a real all business approach to everything, right? That was like, I, and it was so. I was so afraid, you know. We would we drive to Houston to go to the corporate, uh, the board meetings, and I'd have to present to them, and then we'd drive back home, and I would I would cry on the way there. I would present, and I'd do a really great job, and they would. T- I mean, all these people were telling him how great of a job I would do, and then I would cry all the way back. You didn't feel it, though. and you I didn't was feel like well. It. it was kind of scary. I'd never yeah, done anything like right. that before. You know, I'm still a little girl raised from the north side of town in my mind. You know, and uh, so all he's like, I don't even want to know. I don't want to understand this. And he just hand me his handkerchief. You know, and that was that. that you was know, sweet, so it it really was. You be. And he yes. And um, but you still you so learn business acumen. I learned from him. so much about mm-hmm. business, and he has honored me with the statement that he has yet. Now he's in his eighties, and he's got multiple businesses. He's just done an amazing job in his life. And he has told me that I have by far been the best person that he has seen that has the capacity to go into a business and get it um, streamlined and running well. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, look, if you've got some issues, you know, he's like, and, and one of the businesses that I did, he was actually um, helping them with the finance piece of their business. And uh, I became part of the condition that this company used me for the back office support Mm -hmm. in order to get, like, um, a line of credit. To ensure that it was a good investment for him. And and to keep them on track. Right. You know, so, um, so, and then, of course, I stayed with him for years after he was paid off. But um, That's a seal of approval. So, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So, so... I, I'm sorry. I think I kind of went off no, topic. No, no, no. You but, answered the um, question. I, you know, and my next question was, you, you did answer it. Okay. So I just heard on the news about Katie Couric admitting that she really wasn't always a good mentor and helping other women around her. And one of the reasons was, you know, it's so competitive. There weren't many jobs open yes. for women of her ranking mm-hmm. and doing what she did. Probably the same thing yeah. with you. Maybe the women that were in higher positions, there weren't many openings. And they might exactly. have seen you as a threat, even though you had no intention right. of trying to take their job. You could outshine yeah. them. Yeah. So how are women entrepreneurs different? Is there a difference today? Are you so seeing a I, difference? I do see the young women that I'm working with as um, still struggling with some of the self-confidence that the guys seem to automatically come yeah, in with. Yeah, they do, huh? You know, so, even and, if they don't have that much talent. Right. You know, I hate to yes, say that. I know. <laughs> I'd love to have that kind of confidence. <laughs> really? <laughs> really. Uh, I think it's just the way, you know, little I boys think and girls are more grew competitive up. Mm-hmm. and they just exactly. rough and tumble and go get it done. Yes. And and so so the the women have some really amazing ideas and um, great products and so it's it's just more of making sure I, I take some time to go and reach out to them mm-hmm. and give them a little, you know, boost of self confidence and mm-hmm. uh, letting them know how great their ideas are and their products are and, and just keep reassuring them that they're on the right track. And they know I, you're there, I guess, for and, and I think they don't moral re- support. They don't reach out as 
easily. I try to stay in touch with them, mm-hmm. you know. And I think one of the um, the common slumps everyone I've seen get into is like, I wonder if I should just go back and get a job, you know. Yeah. And it's that like that has benefits and yeah. it's safe. Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's a soul killer. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> soul killer. I'm gonna have to use that one. Yeah. <laughs> do men ask for so, help much, um, or do you have to offer it? <laughs> I. They usually are willing to share what's going on, and then that gets the conversation going. With the woman approach, I almost have to pull it out first, you know, and try to get, you know, what's going on with you, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah. what what is some good advice that you can share with us? Like what what you've seen in larger business, and then these smaller emerging businesses. What what type of advice do you share with people? Well, I know one thing that COVID has really shown how our systems are so broken all over the place. And if we get back to the small manufacturers, the local businesses, and the things that really feed our soul, um, this is going to improve the quality of our life and the quality of our, our communities and the quality of the world. And one thing that Boyer says frequently is, you know, he's like, I love Austin. He used to live there. And he says, I'd love to get back there. But that's not where I'm supposed to be right now. So Mm -hmm. it's up to me to make Lafayette great like I, you know, think Austin is. So he takes a personal responsibility in improving the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I really like that, you know, he refers to... um, the responsibility that we all take to make our community better. Yeah. And when you're happy in the work you do, you know, then then it doesn't feel like work. <clears throat> so it's like follow your passion. Right. I read an article, I guess it was in the industrial, you know, the monthly magazine that comes out, and the supply chain issues are really causing people to look at why are we getting all of our supplies maybe mm-hmm. from China or whatever, like, you know, People are looking at everything, right? Yes. About where things are produced. Yes. Where, you know, could Lafayette maybe be back to a manufacturing type of community? I've heard Greg Gotro with Lita say mm-hmm. that, um, that oil and gas was so big, but we have yeah. the capacity with mm-hmm. the warehouse and all the space that we have here to go back to begin manufacturing mm-hmm. and, and let people be able to get supplies that they need. And what's going on in the weather, old weather for business in Broussard, I think, is exactly that, you know, where Oshner's is invested to start making PPP, PPE mm-hmm. here. So yeah. that was very encouraging. Um, when, when COVID first hit and all of the global uh, companies and manufacturers of appliances were hit hard right away. But there is one manufacturer family-owned and operating built in the U.S. left, and that's Sub-Zero Wolf. Really? And we were doing great. And that's what you sell. And that's our big line, mm-hmm. right? So we were doing great in the beginning. But then when the freeze hit in Texas, the infrastructure of the chemical companies that is used to make the foam, which is used to make refrigeration, just stopped all of our contract obligations because oh. they, they, they could not fulfill them. So then... Everybody, and then the microchips hit. So now everyone is impacted, not just the global appliance manufacturers. Local also in the yes, U.S. the U.S. Yeah. So, um, so those chains, and then of course the shipping, <clears throat> the trucks, all of that is just insane right now. And it's taking us so much more money to do business with so little product coming. Mm-hmm. And um, the 
It has increasingly got worse each year, and we are hearing that it will probably continue to get worse into next year on the appliance side. Now, in the cabinetry manufacturing and the shortage of, of wood and, and glues and all mm-hmm. of that, that, those lead times are just getting really bad now, too. So I'm anticipating a, another rough year next year. And so we're taking that time to uh, train our, our installers, well, actually, we have people in, in each level of the company training. Uh, we're supplying support to the, to the entrepreneurs that are in the building. We build out little spaces here and there where we can with internal labor. But we also started uh, building raised beds and starting to utilize the green space that we hadn't really paid attention to yet. Mm-hmm. So we've got a number of, of nice wooden beds we've built, and we also have, we're growing food in the back. Yeah, yeah. We have Gardens. fruit trees planted. Mm-hmm. And where the next thing we're going to look at is how we could collect rainwater to water the gardens. So we'll probably put some systems in place with our internal labor as well. And uh, we'll probably do some... Um, some recycling, you know, the with the extra wood, not the non-treated wood and the limbs from the trees on our property, we'll probably get a wood chipper and start making our own mulch and different things like that that we may not have had the time to do mm-hmm. uh, when we were blowing and going. And it's not that um, the the ordering has slowed down. I mean, we're we're still at a, a great level of of activity business wise. It's just we can't get the product here. And then when we do get the product here, the job sites are so s- delayed from all the other issues mm-hmm. that we, we're we not getting things in and out. You know, there's right. just a huge backlog. And uh, so there's a sense of comfort there because I do have a nice backlog. If this was slow and nothing was being ordered... You I might have to consider. I'd probably be freaking future. out about yeah. now, <laughs> but right. uh, but you know the business is still there. I don't know what it's going to look like when things start to get to normal. Will there be a pre-COVID normal again in supply chain? I I have no clue. You know we've lost over what five million people on the planet that yeah. we know of. Right. I mean what what is manufacturing going to look like? You're you know? amazing. So you're yeah. focused on sustainability. While yes. you have the time. Yes. Now, what are people doing with, you know, there's such a demand for housing. And I told you when we sat down, I, my freezer door got left open last mm-hmm. night. So I, I was told I have to defrost it. I mean, I, yeah. I can't get a new freezer if I want one. Right, right. So people are going to have to learn to make their appliances last longer, at least for the foreseeable yes. future. If you can get parts. Oh, so that's what she many, told me. She said, don't let that fan blade break because yes, you're in trouble. Yes. <laughs> many appliance uh, manufacturers have moved to a replace type model mm-hmm. to where they don't even have parts. The, do, the parts they do have go into the new bills. So, uh, and that's so not good for our environment. It's not good for our environment. It's such a waste. So now that, that is not Sub-Zero Wolf's philosophy. Mm-hmm. They have parts for the product. We have some 40, 50-year-old right. products out there. You know, as is Vinahood, which is also a Texas-based company. They mm-hmm. did the first ventilation in residence. And uh, they, they have a great manufacturing facility in Texas. And in fact, I think it was even retooled during the war. You know, um, so... Um, but most appliance manufacturers, they make a product and it's like planned obsolescence, right? It's, you pitch it 
And just buy new. Exactly. So maybe that'll change. So maybe there'll be a push we can for hope. environmental. We can you know, hope. I know what, what has happened is a lot of people are using their appliances more. So we had a lot of customers that didn't mind if a burner was out or something yeah. wasn't working because they just didn't use it much. They were eating out all the time uh, or buying prepared food. And now people are using their product more. And uh, their quality of of appliances is becoming more important to them and, and how they cook, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we do have products that, like steam cooking with steam to help keep the nutrition in better. And, you know, so it's and cooking with induction, you know, for better air quality and having great ventilation, you know. So it, it has excited more people about their kitchens mm-hmm. and that's been really exciting as well you know? and they just are in line to get their appliances so, yes <laughs> <laughs> just in line well you were fortunate that you did well you know a few years back <laughs> yes <laughs> you can imagine if you had bought this and you didn't have that financial cushion and ability yeah. mm-hmm. to do side uh, consulting yeah. and and that is, you know, it's it's about di- diversification, right? So, so that gives me a sense of comfort and um, between having tops and and my team is great. They can do much of this. Like I did step in when COVID hit because their lives were so busy with family and everything, and and I got very involved for a solid ten months, and and then once we got the new normal in place, they were able to take it back over, and I was able to moved back out somewhat while I was working on the the building and what do we do with that. So, But the garden has been exceptionally uh, rewarding and mm-hmm. fun because you can imagine the, kind, the stress level of always having to tell your client the back order just got back ordered, you know, and, and always having to give them what feels like bad news, you know, and it's it's just so stressful on everyone here when we're trying to give good customer service and so much of this is just out of our control. And so the, the stress level goes up and I try to do different things to improve that. And we just got some amazing radishes out of the garden. The whole, I mean, we are having these conversations about radishes. Some people will take breaks and go out and check out the garden and some will take home. Well, I've never eaten that before, but I'll take it home and try it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have this new level of things to kind of like take our mind off of the troubles. Emotional rescue. Yes. <laughs> yes. As Mick Jagger would say. Yeah. So the gardening that you have is really kind of a, a hobby that is for people to decompress. Yes. And it's not for the people that are cooking here, although I guess they can, use, some have, they can use it. I yeah. have uh, this this um, one person who got started when we started the market in June. We did a market for five months to also help build um, opportunity for uh, another option to sell. And um, so she started all of her, she does this amazing old fashioned chow chow. So we started growing uh, the cayenne peppers and um, and different things that she's pickling. Mm-hmm. So, and another manufacturer is like, I just got this order for this product that requires cinnamon basil. Anybody have any? And uh, my market coordinator knew I had cinnamon basil back there, and we kind of saved the day because yeah. it was at the end of the season where no one had any left, uh-huh. and we had plenty. Because what a healthy choice too! So, cinnamon yeah. is so healthy. Yeah, basil. So, that's interesting. Yeah, it, w- it went in something that 
some kind of simple syrup I think they were making. Mm-hmm. So, right. so, uh, so it's, we use it, we share it. The nutritionist here uses it in classes. We did an event last week and we made all, got all the greens out of the garden for the salad. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody gets to take things home. And if there's leftovers, you know, we yeah. can donate it. And, and uh, my, Part, gardening partners can sell it at Fight and Feel Fresh, uh, that market there. So You're a beautiful example so. of stewardship, <laughs> using your resources oh. that God gave you. Thank, Thank you, you for all this. If people are interested uh, in talking more to you about your consulting mm-hmm. work, or even if they're a, an entrepreneur and are curious if there's space here or maybe microloan availability how yep. how can they reach out to you so you can reach me at tops if i'm not available just tell them you heard me on your podcast and i'll be sure to get back to them um my staff does a, a great job of screening for me so don't let them get <laughs> get you, don't get screened <laughs> that's great well sherry latour is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get into did we leave out anything that you wanted to share well uh, I would encourage businesses here in town to, you know, be that good steward of their space and of their green space. And, um, you know, if you're interested in trying to learn how to grow um, an edible landscaping, you know, I'm, I've hired gardeners and we're growing our garden workforce and, um, and just, yeah. you know, see what we can do to to keep building our community to help people buy local. Right. You know? Thank you for all that. <laughs> I've been so inspired for people that haven't been out to Tops. It's it's so worth the drive to go down Johnson Street. Um, the businesses that are here are exceptional. I mean, your appliances are beautiful. But what's really beautiful is the collaborative effort mm-hmm. where people are sharing space or sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you're their mom of sorts, <laughs> yes. you know, guiding them with your, your business sense and your, your kindness well, thank to encourage you. them. It's just, it's beautiful. I'm so happy. Yeah, I thought I would be, a, be a mom of six kids and a grandmother. And I was like, I have one son who's also a maker here and has a space here. And, um, but, and, and all of my sisters have a bunch of children and grandchildren it's like well these are my these are my kids these are my grandkids and uh it's a big family and i feel so satisfied with that so well thank you sherry (laughs) latour for sharing your time today and i want to thank our listeners thank you for being so loyal I, i love this podcast and having an opportunity to meet sherry and others in our community is it's a real blessing. I'm, I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm grateful to our sponsors also. I'd like to thank Iberia Bank, who is now a part of the First Horizon family, Oxner Lafayette General, Raider, and of course, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape, and Kurgan Brothers Sonic. We're so grateful for all the financial support you've afforded to allow this podcast to continue. You can subscribe uh, to the podcast on your phone, anywhere you get your podcast. You can find Discover Lafayette. You can check out our website at discoverlafayette.net and hear Sherry's interview along with about 225 others. We've been very blessed to have so many interviews. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, I'm Jan Swift.